Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. We're studying 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 2. Oh, look at that. I did it all by myself. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is our section for today. I'm going to read it. You please follow along. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, just so you don't think I'm a total heretic. I like this translation, all right? He says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. First of all, highest priority of utmost importance. What is it? Pray. Ooh, that one hurts. That one hits me right between the eyes because I have a hard time praying. I know you're not supposed to admit stuff, you know, like that when you're a Christian, especially when you're one of the <coughs> leaders in the church. But prayer is hard work. I had a friend that <laughs> he described it this way. He said, when you really pray, what you're doing is undressing in front of God. Ooh, you know, that's tough stuff because it takes, it takes some humility. It takes some effort. I have a hard time praying, I guess, because I'm proud and lazy. And when you put those two things together, you got problems. So pray for me, okay? That's part of your job. And I need to pray for you. In fact, who do we pray for? Pray for all people. Isn't that crazy? Pray for all people. <laughs> Requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Now, what are there, like 6 billion people or something? 7 billion people? How many? 7 billion? 7 billion. That's going to take a long time, folks, to pray for all people, right? Well, the Lord Jesus did it, so we can too. Help me, and, and I want you to participate right now. This is, I know, this is a little embarrassing because it's going to go very silent, but help me. What should I be praying for all people? Any ideas out there? Salvation. Their salvation. Wow, that's a good one. Thanks, Julie. Anybody else? Shelter. What? Shelter. Hey, listen, we have a crisis in this country with shelter, and let alone the rest of the world, right? People in Puerto Rico, according to, never mind. I need to pray for their shelter. I need to pray for their well-being. But I think primarily I need to pray for their salvation. You know, the Lord Jesus put it this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what? We have gotten away. Because of, because of a certain tradition from another group, we have gotten away from saying the Lord's Prayer. But you know what? I think we would be wise to add into our prayer life the Lord's Prayer at least once a day. That wouldn't be a bad thing because... Prayer is what God calls on us. Look at this guy, D. Edmund Hebert. He used to be um, 
Some with Moody, right? Moody Church or something. Anybody know? If I got the right guy? Nobody knows, so nobody cares. All right. <laughs> he said this, the ministry of prayer is the most important service that the church can engage in. Oh, come on. I mean, we've, there's people who are hungry, right? There's people who need shelter. Right? Prayer? The ministry of prayer is the most important service that the church can engage in. Prayer is the most dynamic work which God has entrusted to his saints. But it is also the most neglected ministry open to the believer. Do you, do you agree with that? Can you deal with that? Okay, well then what we need to do is we need to crank up our prayer lives as a body of Christ, as a family. We need to crank, and what we're going to do is encourage each other to pray for all people. So let's say just that first part of the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we could go on, but at least I think that somewhat covers praying for all people. And we don't do it as a habit. We don't do it as some little poem that we say kind of, a, no. We do it with sincerity and with integrity. And we ask God for all people. Interesting. I don't know who said this, um, so I can't give credit, but I'll take it. Prayer is so very important because it invites God into the situation we're praying about, and it secures his working on behalf of those in need. That's kind of neat, isn't it? It, it? it says, God, here I am, a, a mere human being, but I invite you because you've asked me to, I invite you to be involved in the life of the unsaved, in the life of my family. In the I mean, isn't that a good thing? Lord, I invite you in. And then it secures his working. It says, God, God says, when you ask, I will answer. And so we need to really consider how important this concept of prayer is. Timothy, you need to be a praying person family. We need to be praying people. Let's not fail in this request. Um, I so often skip right, right to verse 2 and start praying for people in authority, and I have reason for that, and I'll, well, maybe I won't share it. But anyway, let's not fail to pray for all people. Amen? Amen. A couple of you. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, let's not fail in that. For those in authority, kings, Paul says, and presidents. Really? Can Joe Biden get saved? A little smirking going on out there. Are we praying for him? Wow. Interesting. Who was king when Paul wrote this? Oh, I gave you the answer. Rats, I meant to have it be one of those. Shoot. Okay. Can anybody guess who the king was when Paul... Oh, wow, what a bright group. Okay, Nero, Nero. Would it, it, it would, I think, seem hopeless to pray for Nero. He was not a nice person. He, in fact, this quote, his reign is commonly associated with unrestricted tyranny, extravagance, religious persecution, and debauchery. That from the all-authoritative WikiLeaks, Okay. He was said to have seized Christians as scapegoats 
for the fire that burned Rome and burned them alive. KT told me that he read once that Nero would dip Christians in warm tar and then hang him on his lamppost and light him on fire to provide light for his evening parties. That would not be a pleasant way to go, folks. And yet there were some who stood firm in their faith, some who said, you know what? Even if that wicked, evil person burns me alive, I'm going to continue to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for Nero. Wow, some pretty dedicated stuff there. So pray for Nero. That's a little late for him. But pray for Joe Biden, okay? If such praying were useless, Tom Constable says, if such praying were useless, the apostle would not write what he does. That's pretty good. Now, you may not like my next slide. In fact, you probably don't like any of my slides, but tough, I'm up here, you're down there, so here we go. <laughs> Salvation. I believe something dramatic took place in the life of Donald Trump. I remember a Donald Trump of 10 to 15 years ago, and he was an evil, nasty, dirty person. He really was. And for you young'uns who can only remember him as this nasty president that we had, let me tell you, something dramatic happened in that guy's life. It's my, my, my belief, and you don't have to buy this, but it's my belief that he was born again. And he surrounded himself with people who were born again. And he took advice from people who were followers of Christ, real genuine believers. That's very, very interesting. And here's the point. If Donald J. Trump can be saved, so can you. Isn't that interesting? Thrilling stuff. So the Bible says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Well, why should I do that? Well, because God said so, but wh why did he want that? Well, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dig dignity. Well, that's cool. I'm going to pray for the government so I selfishly can have a... No, no, that's not the point. The point is this. Godliness refers to an attitude of reverence for God based on our knowledge of Him, all right? That's foundational to this whole concept of praying for those in authority. I have to know and believe that our God is able to work in the lives of those people for whom I'm praying, those people who are actually making decisions that are they're impacting my life. And I have to then say, God, I pray for those people. Dignity says the out, is the outward manifestation of the attitude, that attitude of reverence, the outward manifestation. In other words, you can see in my life the attitude in righteous behavior. And that has an impact. That makes a difference in people's lives. Here's some cool quotes. It is often said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Huh, that's kind of what we prayed, wasn't it? And as I pray for other men, as I pray for all men, I want God's will for their life. I want him to have his way in their life. And my prayer is, is asking God to accomplish that in their lives. Warren Wearsby said that. Even those who will not allow you to speak to them about God cannot prevent you speaking to God about them. You got people in your life who you bring up their need for the gospel, you bring up something about a relationship with Jesus, and they just click, 
Yeah, okay. Well, guess what? They can't control things. I can pray for them, and God will work in their lives. Are we doing that? Are we praying for all those? One final of my cool quotes. Charles Swindoll says, So pray for our leaders, whether they're Christians or not. Pray that they come to faith in Christ. Pray that their decisions honor God and allow for the free spread of the gospel. Pray that God would reach into the souls of our local, state, national, and world leaders who don't know him, that he would save them and incline their wills toward his. Our prayers can make a difference, says Charles Swindoll. Hmm, good stuff. All the more reason why we need to be people who obey the scripture when the, the Holy Spirit tells Paul to write, pray for all those in authority. We need to be people who are praying that way. You know what? It pleases God. Verse 3 says it very clearly. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now, how many hours of a day do you live your life in a way that is absolutely pleasing to God? Have you ever thought about that? What's your percentage? Um, I'm not going to confess mine, and you don't have to say yours, but you know, I don't always have pleasing God as a top priority in my life, and yet that's kind of why He saved me, isn't it? To bring glory to His name, to please Him. And so I want to do things that please God, and this is one of them. Pray, first of all, for all people. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their well-being. Pray for those in authority. Why? Because it can make a difference. God can change their lives. Think of history. Think of what the Bible has taught us about a guy like Cyrus. Cyrus? I want to say Cyprus, but that's a place, isn't it? Cyrus? Okay, thank you, sir. Yeah, Cyrus, what did he do? An unsaved person, as far as we know. You know what? He made it possible for Nehemiah to go back and build the wall of Jerusalem so that the people there could have a temple so they could honor God. Why would he care? But God put it in his heart, in his mind. He inclined his will toward what was good and right for God's people. And we can pray that same thing. So let's be on our best behavior. We are, we are people who need to be prayer warriors. Now we come to the next verse, and I'm going to throw up the red flag, high seas, beach, no lifeguard warning, okay? Verse 4 is a tough one, all right? Verse 4 says this, it pleases God who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And for over 2,000 years, there has been controversy about what the all in this verse means. Okay? So it started with a guy named Augustine and has continued on. And I, I won't name some of the others. You probably know who they are. Um, there's one group who, like I said, shall remain nameless that believe God, believes God chooses for salvation from all groups of mankind. It's God's job, he says, let's see, oh, the Carter family. Mm, yeah, okay, Joel, yeah, we'll, we'll pick him out. And somehow along the line, Bosberg, God said, you're in trouble, buddy, because you're going to be mine. How many years before you decided that? 33 years. you got to read Tim's testimony. It's great. Well, I mean, yeah, it's wonderful, right? 33 years oh, ignoring God, pretending that you were the one in charge, and suddenly God says no to him. And so he picked, now is it just certain people in certain groups that God saves? 
Like God says, those Americans, they're really cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a lot of Americans. Okay? And Haitians, eh, not so much, not so much. Is that God? I, I'm sorry. I'm tipping my hat here a little bit. Another opposing group believes that all means all. I'm not here to tell you where you stand or where I stand. But my guess is that we will be clearly informed as to what all means when we see Jesus. So 2,000 years of debate and discussion over this issue will finally be resolved. All right? The point I want to make is, in the meantime, we cannot and must not divide God's people over this issue. I have had incredible, yeah, I was going to say discussions, but no, they've been outright brawls with people. Oh, you're one of those, and I can't say it. You're one of those people, and I'm one of these people. Back and forth, hours. Those of you that are Emmaus, where are some of the Emmaus students? What went on in the dorms? Was there a discussion about this issue? This was the best thing to fight over. That's not what God wants. You can have your opinion, but the only opinion that really matters is the opinion of the living God. And I need to seek that. And if I can't figure out exactly what his opinion is, if there's really some nuances and discussion points, then I better be a little bit careful before I get too dogmatic and say, this is what it means. Now, there's things in Scripture that it's absolutely clear that what God, mean, what God says is what God means. And we don't argue over those things. But if there's something that I don't quite get the handle of, we need to be willing to say this is at least my understanding and I'm open to hear what you as another fellow believer think about this thing. So whether you, whether you embrace this view or that view, it is vital, says Mark Minter, that all believers look to the Bible as the ultimate authority. It is also important that we humbly and graciously investigate the Bible alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. Mark Mentor, all right? So what does all mean? I'm not here to proclaim exactly what it means, but I'll tell you this one thing I do know. God loves to save people. Isn't that cool? God loves to save people. Ben, are you glad that God loves to save? You are. How come? What's the big deal? Gotcha. I'll tell you what the big deal is. You were on your way to hell, right? That's kind of rude, isn't it? For a guy to stand up here and point a finger at poor Ben and say, you're going to hell. Well, you were. In fact, I'll go like this. And then I'll go. We were all headed for a lost eternity. And my God said, I'm going to save those people. What a wonderful thing. Can you read that verse? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Wow. And then we come to like a diamond in the middle of this passage, and we're reading along, and suddenly it says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. One God, one mediator. The Old Testament made it abundantly clear that there was one God. 
And it's so important for us to understand what the Old Testament teaching is about God. But then it's even uh, as, uh, very much important that we go to the New Testament and see that that teaches us that God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who can bring us, who will bring us, together with God. Why do we have to be brought together with God? Well, I don't know if you can read these things. This, this is something I... Who, who did this picture? Anybody know? Campus Crusade or one of those organizations uses this picture all the time. And it's a good one, okay? Here's man. Let's see. I'm not even going to try the pointer. All right. Man, separated from God because he's holy and we're not. We're born in sin. So we can't get there. Sin separates us from God. And there's many verses that speak to that issue. There's things that we try. Look at that middle picture. Good works. Religion. Uh, morality, but the scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They just can't get us there. What are we going to do? This is a wonderful thing. God himself provided that mediator, that one who could bring us together, that one who, although we were separated from a holy God, he brought us together. How in the world did he accomplish purchasing freedom for all men? Our God is a saving God. Paul says this, I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. This is what I've been called to. The Lord Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Wow. He gave his life, back uh, in verse, verse 5, he gave his life as a ransom or, or as a payment to purchase freedom for everyone. What about you this morning? We pray that God will save Mr. Biden, my prayer is that every one of you will be saved. It would be presumptuous of me to assume that just because you walk in the doors of the Great Adventure Church does not mean that you're all believers in the Lord Jesus. And so we have to challenge each one. We have to challenge you to think seriously about this. Have I placed my total confidence in the work that God's Son, the Lord Jesus, did when he died on the cross? Is that all that is going to provide salvation for me. Not my works, not going to church, not being a nice guy. The only thing that will provide salvation for me is to put my faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was nine years old, I was at a Bible camp, and the preacher was going on and on, he had a big chart up there. On one side was heaven, and the other side was this, sorry, this is a little rude, but there was this great big red fireball with the letters H-E-L-L -L, right in the middle of it. And all I could see on that chart for the two days that I sat there listening to the guy was H-E-L-L, -L, and I knew that's where I was headed. Nine years old. I couldn't sleep Tuesday night. I can't remember the exact date, but I know the place. And I finally woke up my counselor and I said, I'm going to hell. Well, <clears throat> he was a young guy and a little unfamiliar with the Bible, but a nice man. And he said, well, I know some guy that might be able to help you. So he went upstairs, and there was this other guy named Philip Leverance <laughs> who was counseling upstairs, and he brought Phil Leverance down, my dad. And my dad said this. He said, Keith, I want to say John 3.16, and I want you to think about it for a minute. Say it with me, okay? We're going to use the old King James. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what I wanted. And he said, now, Keith, what I want you to do is to think about this. 
Do you believe that Jesus is truly God's son? Well, of course, Dad. I've been taught that all my life. That's what the Bible says. Yes, Jesus is God's son. Good. That's a good way to start. And do you believe, get this now, do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sin? Well, of course, that's what I've been taught all my life. Yeah. All right, Keith, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to save or to pay for your sins? Yeah, I believe that. And so he said, okay, we're going to say the verse again. Only this time, instead of saying whosoever, I want you to say Keith Leverance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Keith Leverance, believing in him, will not perish but have everlasting... Woo-hoo! And I went to sleep. I, I don't know, I mean, but I do remember going to sleep. Pretty cool. Because Jesus had now taken care of my sin, and I had put my confidence in his work. That's the message that Paul taught. That's what he said God had called him to. That's why he said, I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach Gentiles this message. And it's our job as a local church to teach that same message over and over and over again and to ask you, are you sure? Have you really gone through that process? Have you thought this out? Uh, thought this out? Excellent. Well, guess what? It's almost time to quit, and I'm going to quit pretty much on time. Okay? So we go to the last two verses, eight, nine, eight, last three verses, 8, 9, and 10, where it says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, that's not a bad verse. We can handle that one, but look at the next one. <laughs> and I want women. Oh, boy. I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. I can handle the part about where I'm telling men they need to pray, okay? But I get in big trouble when I start telling the women what they should do. So don't listen to me, please. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because he's the one that influenced Paul to write these very things. All right? So remember, it's not leverance. When you want to start throwing stones, throw them at Paul. All right? <laughs> First off, I want men in every place of worship. Now, he's talking about the local church. I don't know if you were here when Mike introduced us to 1 Timothy, but Mike said in chapter 3, verse 15, that the whole purpose of 1 Timothy was to tell people how they should conduct themselves, how they should behave when they're a part of the family of God, especially when the church gathers, all right? So he says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, what's the important issue there? That's for you. That's a question. What do you see as the most important issue? Ah, Bruce, you nailed it, okay? It's not about how you hold your hands when you pray. In, in biblical times, there are archaeological discoveries that show that people often lifted their hands like this in prayer, okay? I don't see that very often around here. Um, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. What, what does this say? When you're uh, a toddler and you come up to daddy, what does it say? Yeah, dad, I need you. I need you, please. Pick me up and cuddle me and hold me and, and satisfy my needs. And so that's not a bad posture, but I don't believe it's important. The, the posture part of it is as important as this business of free from anger and controversy. All right, let me shift gears here. The reason I believe is that my prayers are often impacted 
by my relationship with you. Let me, let me read a few verses to you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. The Lord Jesus said, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Jesus said, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Then with a clear conscience, you can seek God's best for that person. Interesting, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, part of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. You see, the scripture points out that, yeah, if I don't have a right relationship between you or, or with my wife and so on, it's going to impact the prayers that I make. And so I want to be careful. I want to be the kind of person who says, you know what, I need to evaluate. Has there been this week that impact, that thing that I've done that influenced a negative way somebody else? Have I done something that causes a hindrance in our relationship? That's one of the reasons, I'll just, this is a little commercial, but that's one of the reasons why we practice taking the Lord's Supper every week. Because by Saturday night, I better be stopping and saying, I need to consider my life. Because what does the scripture say about taking the bread and the juice in an unworthy manner? We, we, we bring judgment on ourselves. That's not what I need. And so it's a wise thing to stop and consider and say, God, are there things? Oh, 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 yeah, that. It's amazing how quickly he brings to mind those things that he wants dealt with. And how do we deal with them? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and he's righteous. He's just in forgiving our sins. And then he goes further and he cleanses us from unrighteousness. And then I have freedom to come to the Lord's table and say, thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body broken that bore my sin. The Bible says do it often. For one of, this is just one of the reasons why we try and do it often. Anyway, now I have to handle that last part. <clears throat> Women in every place of worship. Some of you ladies are giving me the eyeball. Okay, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm getting, all right. I want women... <laughs> I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Okay, she's one of my favorite. Uh, but you're not supposed to dress like Wonder Woman. At least not in church. You can do it the rest of the week if you want. But when you come and gather with the family, uh-uh, uh-uh. He wants modest, decent. And then, is that the important part? Is that really what he's focusing on? No. He's saying what's really important is that women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Now, I could go around this room and I could, 
I could pick out, and I won't do it because it's, it, it, ladies, I want to say this. You are very attractive by the good things that you do. I applaud you for that. That is a wonderful thing. And please keep doing it up. That's the important part of this. This will, this will allow your prayers, my prayers, to go directly to God and to be unhindered in any way. There can be no accusation. Satan standing by the throne of God can't say, don't, don't listen to Lawrence's prayer. Look at his relationship with, uh, with Daryl, okay? It's pretty good right now. Did, did I, oh, it's 10, I got to quit. Daryl rescued me when I fell off the roof. It was great. I was hanging on the gutter with one foot stuck in the gutter and hanging out with the other hand, and Daryl came flying down his cape, fluttering in the background, and he lifted me up and put me. It was wonderful. Thank you, Daryl. We have a good relationship. But <clears throat> what has that got to do with what I'm saying? Oh, I know, relationships. It's so important that we have right relationships and that our apparel, our outward appearance, is that which is um, we make ourselves attractive by the good things we do. Now, I really got the easy shift on this passage of Scripture because Joel's got to teach the next thing. And you, won't, you can hardly wait. Next Sunday, come and hear Joel Carter squirm about how to handle women. Right, Carter? All right, I can hardly wait. Anyway, let's pray. Father, it's your word. And sometimes I act like my word's more important. And I pray, Father, that you'll, that you'll give me an understanding of who you are and what you say so that I submit to your awesome power and authority in my life. And this is a tough portion of scripture, but I ask you to help me with it. And I ask you that we as a family will be praying people. We ask this in Jesus' name.